Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 181 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I spoke with the president and CEO of the Texas State Aquarium about their work rescuing and rehabilitating loggerhead turtles and other marine wildlife. We discussed the challenges faced by sea turtles in a changing world, the human work that goes into saving them, and the magic of connecting with another species. Just the Zoo of Us presents Loggerhead Turtles with Jesse Gilbert. Friends, this is Ellen Weatherford with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. And this week, I'm really, really excited to be talking to a brand new friend. This is Jesse Gilbert. Say hi, Jesse. Hi, Ellen. How are you? Hi, everyone. It's good to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm excited to talk about your work with a really, really cool animal that I honestly don't know a ton about. So I'm looking forward to learning. <laughs> but before we talk about our cool animal friend today, I would like to get to know you a little bit. What got you into marine biology? Yeah, uh, it was an interesting road. I actually grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, so a landlocked state. Oh, sure. Yeah. When I think marine biology, I think Tulsa, Oklahoma. It screams marine science. It, that it does. And so <laughs> I, um, I was really fortunate. I grew up in Tulsa and uh, Tulsa has a, a fantastic zoo. And uh, my parents would take us to the zoo a lot growing up and just kind of got into animals. I think it was my introduction into, into the wildlife. And from there, I think like probably a lot of people, I made my first trip to SeaWorld and uh, saw orcas and thought that was incredible. I, I, you know, probably more on the training side of things. But as I grew a little bit older, knew that I was kind of probably headed down the marine science road and was very fortunate to get an internship at the Tulsa Zoo. They had a marine aquarium department there. And uh, that was my first internship, my first job as a zoo keeper, and then was really fortunate to find a, an aquarium biologist job here at the Texas State Aquarium and moved to Texas and have been here ever since. So yeah, it was a, it was an interesting road and it started in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But I think because it was in Tulsa, what was interesting was it, it was really kind of the drive to get me to the coast. Um, I think had I grown up on the coast, I, I still probably would have been into marine science, but might not have, have found Corpus Christi in the Texas State Aquarium. So uh, it all worked out really well. And uh, here we are 25, 30 years later. You made it home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> Texas is home now. I, I, I got here as quick as I could, as they say. And, you know, I, I haven't mentioned this yet, but you are the president and CEO of the Texas State Aquarium in Corpus Christi, Texas, which, by the way, I didn't know off the top of my head where Corpus Christi was. So I did look it up and it is on the coast is. of Texas, which makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Corpus Christi is, you know, it's a kind of a medium sized city on the South Texas coast. So we're right between Houston and the and the border with Mexico. And so uh, it's a community of about 350, 400,000 people. Uh, what's interesting about it, and the reason I've just really grown to appreciate being in Corpus Christi, and we call it the Coastal Bend, is 
there's a lot of really unique marine life that calls this area and this habitat home. And so with the aquarium and the Aquarium's Wildlife Rescue Program, it's been an opportunity to work with wildlife and, and truly save endangered species uh, because this is just where they live. It is a really, really dynamic marine habitat. So uh, it's a great place to live. People are nice, but it is from a marine biology standpoint, this is a, a really, really cool place. Yeah. Are the types of wildlife in the Corpus Christi area, like along that coast, are those the types of animals that you could see at the aquarium? Absolutely. So the aquarium is is primarily focused on the Gulf of Mexico uh, and now the Caribbean Sea. So we've got a really nice Caribbean exhibit where you can look at jungles and birds and kind of some terrestrial stuff as long as as well as the marine. But um, what's really interesting is our wildlife rescue program, and it's being able to tell the story about wildlife conservation and, and sea turtles, which, which we work a lot with. You know, they're endangered species. This is where Kim's Ridley sea turtles all are hatched, right in South Texas or northern Mexico. This is the only place in the world where, where they're from. And so you've got this, you know, the most endangered species of sea turtle in the world. It nests right here in South Texas and northern Mexico. You've got the other species of turtle that are here. We've got a wide range of marine mammals that live in this area. We're starting to see more manatees as as the manatee habitat challenges have grown in Florida. Manatees are searching for more food. And so uh, this year we saw about five or six here in, in uh, Corpus Christi. That's exciting. It is, yeah. And we're also the birdiest city in the country. Uh, we the are birdiest. <laughs> the birdiest city in the country. We're the stopover for the Atlantic Flyway. So as the birds are making their migration north or south, depending on the season, Corpus Christi is pretty much the stopping point for that. And that'll actually happen in April. Our rescue program um, sees a lot of birds through those migration periods because they get tired and, and it's a long trip. You know, they're, they're, they're making quite the trek. So you can come to the aquarium, you can see all of that wildlife, you can see the fish, the sharks, but then you also can soon be able to visit our rescue center. And you'll actually be able to see all of the work that goes on to, to save wildlife at one of the busiest rescue programs in the country. Wow. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And you mentioned, you know, that you have a lot of turtles in your area, turtles that hatch along the coast. And that is the animal that we're focusing on today, the animal we're going to take a look at. Uh, with your wildlife rescue program, do you find yourselves taking in a lot of loggerheads? We do. So we had a really interesting event. We were activated for a loggerhead sea turtle emergency this summer. Loggerhead sea turtles are big animals. Um, the animals that, that we have are about 150 to 200 pounds. These are these are really, really large turtles. And they, they were stranding on the beaches. We were just finding them on the beaches. And it was literally just here in the Corpus Christi area, nowhere else in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, it occasionally happens in other places, but this summer it was just here. Was this adult sea turtles? These are adult turtles and, the, and, they're, oh. and they're big and they don't feel well. You know, when you don't feel well, you're kind of cranky and we would bring them in, we would, they would see the veterinarians, they would get all of the medical workups and really couldn't find what was going on. And still to this day, really aren't sure what it is. We know that they're coming in pretty skinny. They're, they're underweight. Um, their blood values indicate that they're dehydrated and really kind of leads back to they're probably just not consuming enough, uh, enough food. And so we were activated to put all of our emergency rescue operations into place. So we we are the leading coastal wildlife rescue program in, this, in the country, and we can hold up to a 
about 3,000 sea turtles at one time. So it's a, it's wow. a, it's a big, big number. Uh, the most we've ever had at one time was about 1,500 green sea turtles during winter storm Uri. That was the winter storm that came through Texas in 2021. Uh, and like all Texans, turtles don't like snow and ice. And so uh, they couldn't handle it. And so we had 1,500 turtles here during winter storm Uri. So we, we can hold a lot of turtles. And uh, so this, this loggerhead scenario starts to kind of take place in April, May of this, this past year. And um, the other challenging thing about loggerheads is they don't like other loggerheads. Uh-oh. Yeah, you can't, you can't rehabilitate them in the same space. Uh, you'll have, you'll have bubble. other issues. Yeah, you'll have other issues on your hands very quickly. So we had to take uh, all these turtles. We had to develop a way that we could safely hold them. We could manage the seawater that the animals live in and, and make sure that it's healthy water. Our kind of motto here is that the water the animals are, are living in isn't healthy. The animals can't be. That just doesn't seem to, to work itself out. And so we uh, we put this incredible system into place. Um, the team at the aquarium reverse engineered a, an entire system that's made to actually uh, preserve buildings during floods. Re-engineered that, reverse engineered that, came up with this incredible system, and and we were able to recover these these loggerhead sea turtles. They're slowly being released. You get like one or two that are good to go every couple of weeks after they see the veterinarians, and so uh, uh, we still have a couple of them. But yeah, it's uh, we do we didn't get a lot of loggerheads until this year, but it's been a fascinating look at the species as a whole and what you know you've got a, this pocket of a population in south texas and how is that different from the, the animals that live in maybe florida and then we were also able to tag some of the individuals that were released from the rescue center to learn about you know what do they do and how do they move through the habitat during the fall and winter and given that we've had some some interesting winter it's been some fascinating data so yeah we we've seen our share of loggerheads now you're kind of a loggerhead city over there, you know, the, the capital of loggerheads. That is what it looks like. We actually <laughs> we went through a sea turtle cold stunning event literally on Christmas Day. And so that's when the weather turns too cold and the sea turtles get hypothermic and they stun. And, and again, endangered species, you, you bring them in, you warm them up. And so we were working, that was green sea turtles. So we were working with the green sea turtles and we had some people that had come to help us from some of our federal partners at NOAA. And they had heard about the loggerheads, but hadn't seen it. And it was exactly what you said. It was like they walked up and they go, it's like a city. It's just a city of turtles. And so, uh, yeah. um, you know, I, I got into marine science uh, really around corals. And, and now my life is, uh, is marine sea turtles. So. What a life, though, because I feel like sea turtles are such a charismatic little sea creature. Like if somebody is going to be really into a sea creature, it's probably going to be a sea turtle because they're just so cute. They are. And, and that's, I think, what is great about them is it's, it's a powerful storyteller. Sea turtles are great storytellers and people connect with them because they are charismatic. They are cute, you know, turtles. And sometimes you don't think about it being cute. And, uh, you know, you get these hatchlings in and it'll, it, it'll you'll take the most seasoned zoo professional and it <laughs> will melt them. So, uh, no, they are. They're charismatic. They're, they have personalities. Each species has some some difference to it. You know, what you would think works for green sea turtles might not work for loggerheads, might not work for kimps, kimps or at least, but um, they're fascinating animals. Absolutely fascinating. For people who aren't very familiar with what a loggerhead is, this is a yeah. big turtle, a big old turtle with big old flippers. You know, you mentioned earlier that it looked like they weren't getting enough food. Right. What do they eat? 
So loggerheads are more scavengers. And like you said, they're, they're big animals, you know, 150, 200 pounds as adults. They have massive heads and, and big mouths and they are made to crush. And so a lot of what they'll eat are crabs, hard animals that live on the bottom of the ocean. Um, they're opportunistic. You know, I'm, I'm sure if there was a, a fish that wasn't doing too well, a loggerhead would, would absolutely take that opportunity. But they, they eat a lot of crustaceans, a lot of invertebrates, um, but mostly protein. It, it's unlike their cousins, the green sea turtles, and they get their name because they're when they get to adults, they're completely herbivorous. So they're, they mm. only eat algae and, and different grasses in the ocean. So uh, loggerheads are a little bit different uh, that they, they just continue to eat seafood, you know, the things that, that we all enjoy, bivalves, uh, clams mussels you know anything like that and sea urchins that's another that's another big part mm. of the diet here locally and so when you get these animals into the rescue scenario and they're stranding and you know they're they're not eating enough food it ultimately leads to you know what does the population of the food look like you know what is the capacity of that ecosystem and so those are questions that we're asking now and i think that's you know going back to marine biology that's the fun part is there's a <laughs> lot of questions out there and you just have to play detective and, and try to try to solve them so yeah loggerheads eat um, a little bit of everything here at the aquarium once they're in the rescue program we typically try to give them a little bit more high calorie food to get them bulked up and so they'll eat some high caloric uh high quality seafood i think they've had a little bit of salmon um and so you know some of these some of these fish that we would think are a little bit fattier they get uh invertebrates they also get a turtle specific jello so we make a jello that's specific for turtles so they'll get that and they also get all their vitamins and minerals and then they get seen by the veterinarian every two weeks salmon and jello they're living the high life they're living i'll tell you what they are it's <laughs> I was over there uh, during the cold stunning event around Christmas and the loggerheads had, you know, they'd been here for, for a bit of time. And so we have them on a very specific photo period. So we want to mimic what they would see in the wild because they're going to go back to the wild. The plan, mm -hmm. you know, the animals will be released. And so uh, we turn on the lights when the sun rises and we turn off the lights when the sun sets so that we can keep them in that rhythm. And uh, so what's interesting, I go over there first thing in the morning, I turn on the lights. This is a huge warehouse, about 26,000 square feet. I mean, there's a massive, massive space. You have all these turtles and I walk by and the first thing I always do is check to make sure everybody's doing okay. How does the water look? Has anybody, you know, gotten in with somebody else overnight? Luckily that doesn't happen, but you know, doing a walkthrough and I, I realize they're all asleep and none of them are moving and it's cold. It's ice cold in Corpus Christi, mm. which is unusual for us. And so I'm just kind of, and so I kind of poke them. And then I realize that about 15, 20, 30 minutes after I turn on the lights, they start to stir, they start to move around, they wake up, and then they get very demanding for their jello and salmon. <laughs> and then the team will come in and, you know, the, the nutritionist will come in and they'll feed them and they'll eat it all and they'll go right back to sleep. So they, uh, they're very efficient at what they do. They were hangry. They were hangry. That is exactly what it is. And they, <laughs> they, they, you come in, they wake up when they want to. It's kind of like teenagers. They wake up when they want to. They wake up, they eat, and they go right back to bed. Honestly, listen, if I could, I would. Why wouldn't you, right? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds ideal. This sounds yep. amazing. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. No, I, you know, they, it's interesting to, to kind of see them in that perspective. And, you know, in the, in the ocean, that's a, that can be a dangerous thing to do. You go to sleep mm. and, and sharks and other predators can come by. So um, it's fascinating to watch these, you know, these somewhat prehistoric animals that have been around for, you know, as long as dinosaurs, kind of how they work and how they have evolved. Yeah.
So, you know, since you mentioned that this can be kind of risky because it puts them at the risk of being chomped on by yes. something swimming by, but also that this is a an energetic budget that they're working on. So they kind of have to make that call between like, do I accept the risk of falling asleep so that I can conserve the energy I need? If this is your first time listening to this podcast, what we do is we review animals by rating them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. So first up is effectiveness. This is physical adaptations. So things that are built into the animal's body that let them do a good job of the things they're trying to do. So things that either help them catch their prey, things that help them not become prey themselves, things that protect them, anything that is kind of like a tool they have in their belt that helps them survive, thrive, make it to uh, the next generation. (laughs) What do you give loggerheads out of 10 for effectiveness? I would say it's a high eight, nine, somewhere in that neighborhood. When you look at the shell and the protectiveness that a turtle shell brings uh, to it. Yeah, it's a tank. Yeah, they are. And it's a challenge sometimes in the rehabilitation setting because if you need to do surgery, you can't even get through the shell. I mean, it really, oh, really? is an armor plate. That, that's exactly what it is. And so they're protected in that sense and, um, you know, are effective. And, and not only that, does that protect them from things like sharks, but also human activities. You know, sometimes a turtle might be swimming by and a boat hits it. And so those shells, uh, the the carapace, as we call it, and the the underside, the plastron, are protective barriers for that. And then um, I would say that mouth. um, And and we're aware of it because when they're hangry, uh, you've just got to be aware of where that mouth is. I mean, it it could take my whole hand and, and could easily take off fingers if they tried. And so when you think about what they eat in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, clams, hard-shelled invertebrates, um, they can just crush those hard shells. What might be difficult for us to do as, as humans, uh, a loggerhead can do very, very, very effectively. So our hand is like nothing to them. Nothing at all. They're like, you got your hard parts on the inside, weak. Yeah, nothing at all. We've actually, sometimes when we get them in, uh, depending on what we see on x-rays, we'll actually take an endoscope and we'll go down their throat into their stomach to see what's going on when they're kind of under anesthesia. And um, we'll put a bite guard in place. And we've actually had loggerheads bite through bite guards. And oh, no. so it is amazing the power of a full full-size loggerhead jaw. It, you come away with a lot of respect. It, it's it's oh, yeah. pretty crazy. People can sometimes underestimate the ferocity of <laughs> turtles, but yeah. from where I am, where we've got uh, snapping turtles and alligator snapping turtles, yeah. there are some turtles you don't want to, you just, I understand that a lot of people, you know, you stop in the road, you see a turtle in the road, you're like, I'm going to go help that turtle cross the road. You get Careful. out, you walk up. If you look out and you see that thing as a snapping turtle, They've got it. You just get back in your car. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, and you, you bring up alligator snapping turtles. That's what a loggerhead head looks like, just much bigger. But yeah. it's the same jaw structure. It's the same beak look. And so, yeah, if you've ever encountered an alligator snapping turtle, think of something much, much bigger, and that's kind of a loggerhead. So, yeah, you in the rehabilitation setting, we want to help them, but uh, you you have to be very mindful of where that, where that mouth is. You mentioned that they're eating just kind of a lot of different stuff that they find in the ocean. And that reminds me of kind of an iconic image that I think a lot of people would probably recognize of the six pack soda can plastic rings, and um, always being told to, you know, cut them open because of the risk to sea turtles. Is that a myth? Or is that true? No, it's it's very true. Um, I would say, 
aside from these events where you have kind of these mass strandings like the loggerheads or the cold sunnings, what we typically find for our normal patients, our normal sea turtle patients is entanglement. And, and typically it's entanglement in some level of plastic. So it could be, you know, soda can rings like you're talking about. And same thing, we would advocate you cut those rings before you before you dispose of them. I see a lot down here and uh, similar in Florida where um, it's a fishing line that hasn't been disposed of properly. And so somebody's out fishing and you know they cut their line and they just leave it there and that can entangle the animals in fact we we had a one of the cold stunned sea turtles that came in on christmas had a had a hook trapped in its um right shoulder and the line was around its its neck and we were able to cut it off and the animals doing okay but yeah that that entanglement in plastics you know coke can rings um fishing gear is, is is a real hazard to not only marine turtles but but any other sea life but that's probably where we see the the most impact i did also want to ask because something that a lot of people might associate with turtles not necessarily sea turtles but maybe sea turtles is being slow you know like you think turtles you think like this is a slow moving yeah. you know pretty yeah. chill not exactly booking it yeah. are, are loggerheads slow Loggerheads are not slow. So I think that's one of the things that I had to get used to when I moved to to the coast. And, you know, I worked at the Tulsa Zoo and was exposed to alligator snapping turtles and snapping turtles, red-eared sliders. And, you know, when they're on land, they're slow. You know, mm-hmm. I will tell you, marine turtles in water um, will outswim any of our staff. And uh, we watch it a lot because of the rescue program. So when you get, we had these 300 turtles over Christmas for the cold stunning. We had to catch them to Put them back into the Gulf of Mexico, and um, it's always uh, interesting to watch animal professionals get in there with all these sea turtles. And like you said, you think of turtles, you think of slow, right. and uh, they're healthy and they're ready. They will outswim any of us. So it really becomes quite the event to uh, to catch that many sea turtles. So yeah, on land, absolutely. Once they're in the <laughs> in the ocean, uh, all bets are off. I, I, I would I would pick a turtle any day. I mean, it's that old adage, you know, you wouldn't judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. Yeah. Don't judge the turtles by how they uh, flop around on land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're the, particularly sea turtles. They are not graceful on land, but boy, you put them in water and, and they do what they were made to do. I mean, they, their time to shine. They can fly. Yep. <laughs> it does look like flying. Like when you see them swimming through the water, it has that same sort of graceful, like wing flapping motion. It looks like they're flying. It does. You know, and I think, I always think back to kind of like finding Nemo and, and crush and finding Nemo, the sea turtle. I mean, they really capture that. It it is like flight. I mean, they flap uh, their front flippers, their front legs. They use their rear legs more as kind of a rudder to steer, like a ship would. So it's exactly what it looks like. Oh, that's amazing. Yep. Hey there, we are going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we're going to rate ingenuity and aesthetics for loggerheads. So stick around. I'm Jordan Morris. And I'm Jesse Thorne. On Jordan Jesse Go, we make pure, delightful nonsense. We rope in awesome guests and bring them down to our level. We got stupid with Judy Greer. My friend Molly and I call it having the space weirds. Pat Oswalt. Could I get a Balrog burger and some Aragorn fries? Thank you. And Kumail Nanjiani. I've come back with cat toothbrushes, which is impossible to use. Come get stupider with us at MaximumFun.org. Look, your podcast app's already open. Just pull it out. Give Jordan Jesse Go a try. Being smart is hard. Be dumb instead. 
Hi, I'm Hal Loveland. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. And we're the hosts of We Got This with Mark and Hal, the weekly show where we settle the debates that are most important to you. That's right. What arguments are you and your friends having that you just can't settle? Apples or oranges? Marvel or DC? Fork versus spoon? Chocolate or vanilla? Best bagel? What's the best Disney song? We Got This with Mark and Hal. Every week on Maximum Fun, we do the arguing so you don't have to. Oh, all answers are final for all people for all time. We got this! And when I think about their, you know, swimming abilities, I also think of their long distances that sea turtles travel, which makes me want to talk about ingenuity for the loggerhead. Uh, That's the next category we rate animals on, which is behavioral adaptations, things that they do, clever, maybe strategies they have, ways they solve problems they face. Uh, What do you give loggerheads out of 10 for ingenuity? You know, I think turtles, loggerheads in, in particular, I, I would say uh, probably a good eight. Um, they're certainly the migration patterns of turtles. And so yeah. they're cold-blooded, and that's kind of what gets them to trouble in, in winters in South Texas. You know, so right now, today in, in Corpus Christi, I think the temperature is going to be about 80 degrees, and we're, we're right in the middle of January. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's unusually warm. So these animals take the cues to start these migration processes based on water temperature drops. And so when we have a rather warm or mild winter, uh, the cues aren't there. And so the animals might not seek out warmer water because they're already there. And then you get a really strong cold front like we had over Christmas and, and they get in trouble. But they have this amazing ability to migrate and you know they'll, they'll come back. So the Kim's Ridley's uh, as a great example, they only nest here. So the Kim's Ridley's were hatched in South Texas in Northern Mexico, and they will return to the same beach where they were hatched. And um, just last week or two weeks ago, we were able to bring in Kim's Ridley's from uh, Cape Cod. They got cold stunned in the Boston area in Cape Cod. Mm. Those animals were hatched in South Texas, Northern Mexico. And so that's just an example of one migration patterns. We see loggerheads do it across the Gulf of Mexico and, and around the coast. So uh, they have this incredible ability to, to navigate. And the, you think about how large the ocean is, how large the Gulf of Mexico and is and for a loggerhead to show back up on the same beach that it was born on 20 years earlier is a uh, pretty remarkable. I don't know if we can yeah. without GPS. I couldn't. I can't get across my city without yeah. GPS. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you think about it. They're they're using cues, uh, and it's it's amazing what they can do. Yeah. I was going to ask: Is it that they're like you know following currents, or are they using some sort of visual indicator of where they are? Like, how do they know? They do follow currents. Uh, some of the species do that, particularly the the animals that are a little bit more oceanic or pelagic. They also um, one of the issues we see with turtle nesting is. Uh, if there's a lot of light pollution on the beach, it will confuse them. And I, I think a lot of that's because they, they're probably using some sort of guidance of, of how they get there with, with uh, some of the light. And so during turtle nesting season, we try to minimize the amount of light pollution on the beach to not to confuse them to where to go. So they take different cues uh, from all over to, to make sure they can end up back where they need to. But you think, you know, I, just because the Kim's Ridley story is, is really current with us, to think about an animal that, that hatched in Mexico, made the trip around the Gulf, up the Eastern yeah. Seaboard, got caught in Cape Cod, got cold. It's coming back to Texas. That's a, that's a heck of a journey. Yeah. And that also speaks to how fast they must be able to swim, because that is a lot of ground. I was about to say a lot of ground to cover. That's a lot of ocean to cover. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and you know, they're resilient. They're built to, to move through it. And they've been around for, for as long as the dinosaurs. So they've done something right. <laughs> 
I did want to ask from the perspective of having cared for these turtles at your facility, are there any sort of like behaviors that you've maybe had to express from them, like enrichment you've needed to give them or accommodations you've needed to make for like certain behaviors that they've been doing? Absolutely. So uh, two stories on that. Uh, one is uh, Kim's Ridley. So again, this is all of them hatch here. And so during nesting season, particularly around the hatching time, let's say midsummer or so, it's not unusual to have a handful of hatchlings that just wash back. And you know, these are small turtles that are maybe an inch, two inches. I mean, they're very, very small. At that life stage for Kim's Ridley, they find sargassum, which is a seaweed out in the Gulf of Mexico, and they live in these, these seaweed mats, and there's food there for them to eat, and they float along these seaweed mats. They, they float on the ocean surface, and so they're not diving yet for their food. They, they haven't dove. And so what's been interesting is as we get these young Kim's Ridleys into the rescue program, we have to teach them how to dive because that's not, that's not an adaptation that they've yet had to acquire. And, oh. and so because all their foods brought to them, right? We at the, at the rescue center, our, our rescue staff will bring them their, their morning meal, their breakfast, they'll bring them their dinner. And so they don't have to dive. So once we see them hit a certain age, what we actually start to do is we take them to very deep exhibits here at the aquarium. That's not necessarily part of the rescue center. And we won't give them their food at the surface. We'll actually start to offer their food at varying depths of water to make oh. them figure out how to dive. If you want to eat, you're going to have to, you know, it's a little bit of <laughs> I mean, we don't let them starve, but we do, we don't go all the way, you know, down 20 feet immediately, but we'll start and, you know, 12 inches and they'll dive down for 12 inches and we'll stay there for a couple of weeks and then we'll go down 24 inches. And, and so you can watch these turtles do what they would naturally do in the wild, but you do have to modify that. If you just went to it and you said, you know, I'm here in a rehabilitation setting and I just, I'm just going to continue to give this turtle the food. And then I go and I put it back out in the ocean and it hasn't learned how to dive yet. That could be a hard lesson to learn. And so we provide that lesson for them, if you will, it takes a little extra time, but we know that we're getting them out probably Mm. a little more prepared to face the ocean than if we just, if we didn't teach them how to dive. So that's one. Uh, And then the other thing that we'll see, particularly with green sea turtles and the loggerheads, is that you you mentioned efficiency, right? If if somebody brought us our meals and we could just sleep and, and play all day, that's what we would do. And so turtles are no different. And what we've learned about them is they like to wedge themselves underwater so they can hold their breath for, for long, long periods of time, you know, sometimes a couple of hours. And so with the turtles that are not releasable, they, they come into the rescue program and they, their injuries are just too bad and we can't get them back out into the wild. We'll try to provide them a forever home here at the aquarium. And so when we have those turtles, we actually have to give them enrichment devices, but really it's so that they can wedge themselves like they would in the wild. So it's not unusual to come in and see a turtle in the morning because the lights have just come on uh, wedged under a, it, a rock in its cave and just kind of sitting there and, and doing fine. And then as it wakes up, it, it kind of comes too. So yeah, we have to, uh, we have to be creative uh, about how we work with them. And they're also, you know, I think they get a bad rap. People mm. probably don't think they're the smartest uh, animals out there. And we do, they, they'll get themselves in trouble because they'll go mess with anything. And so we really <laughs> have to, um, particularly with the resident rescue turtles that can't be released, uh, we really have to work with them to keep them active and and, and, and give them things to, to interact with that safe for them. Um, so we, we have this at the Tech State Aquarium, a weird world where we've got some animals that, that will live their lives out here at the aquarium. And then we've also got these animals that we're trying to get back into the ocean. And so we take what we learn from the animals that live here at the aquarium, apply that to their oceanic counterparts and, and hope uh, that we can get more animals out there. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what you want, right? Long term, you if you're working on conserving the species yeah. in the wild, you want to try to get them back out there to go home. It's, it's true. It's true. Endangered species conservation. Absolutely. 100%. Has one ever done something that like really caught you off guard that was like really surprising to you? You were like, wow, what are you yeah. doing? <laughs> we, uh, it was at Kim's Ridley. We were doing the diving scenario. Corpus Christi was hit by a, a Category 4 hurricane, Hurricane Harvey in 2017. And uh, we were very fortunate. It, it was about 40 miles. Landfall was about 40 miles north of Corpus Christi. So we were on the dry side of the storm. We, we, we didn't get the brunt of it. But it's still a devastating storm, a Category 4. And so um, the storm had come through and, and everything at the aquarium was fine. And, and uh, we were kind of dusting ourselves off. And we got a call that there was a Kim's Ridley hatchling that had got caught in the storm and just mm. couldn't. You know, category four hurricane. That's that's a yeah. tough thing for anybody to go through. So um, this this turtle comes in, and we named him Champ, and he could fit in the palm of my hand. And um, oh, Champ. yeah, it was it was, a, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool little turtle. And I again, I, I turtles were not my my first go at marine biology. And so Champ comes in. He's a little Kim's really most endangered. Uh, species of uh, sea turtle in the world and so um he doesn't know how important he is he does not and and <laughs> we weren't sure he was going to make it i remember we were trying to the veterinarians were trying to get blood samples to kind of mm. see what we needed to do and we really couldn't even get blood i mean there was a period of time we weren't even really sure if he was alive so um we get him through that kind of critical care period and he and he comes to and he starts to grow and he's, he's turning into this kim's ridley and um we're getting to that point. We need to teach him how to dive. So we bring him back over to, to the main aquarium from the rescue center. We bring him over here to start teaching him how to dive. And so the team is working with him to dive and he's doing it. And you get a report, you know, Hey, this week we got down three feet. We got down, you know, 10. And our, our goal is to always get to about 20 feet. And so I had gotten the report earlier on that champ had, uh, had made it down to 20 feet and champ, because it was Hurricane Harvey and the whole area was really, really suffering. I mean, it was a pretty catastrophic storm down here. Champ had made the front page of the newspaper and kind of really had become this kind of, you know, resilient example of South Texas and Texans. And so, um, so anyways, doing good, you know, the news media keeps up with Champ, you know, he's kind of got this great story. So one morning I, I come into work and I'm walking by the exhibit where Champ is, is doing his dive testing. And so, I walk in and I kid you not, I, I called the curator of fish and, and reptiles and Champ is, is laying on the bottom of the exhibit, totally fine. And he is in a stare off with a lobster. Oh, Champ, what are you doing? Champ, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And, and Champ was probably going to win had, had they had they gone head to head. But it was here he is. He's having no buoyancy problems whatsoever. We have completely gotten him to the point that he can he can completely sink down to the bottom of at least 20 feet and and kim's ridley's eat almost completely benthic organisms so they're, they're eating off the bottom so that's a real crucial thing and so here's this this lobster that that's probably twice the size of champ and they're not they're not aggressive they're just nose to nose and it, i remember taking a photo of it and thinking this you know this is a this is one of those moments you kind of walk into and you never thought you would see a stare down <laughs> really no, no lobster. and it really was kind of this all this work that had gone into saving Champ and 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 making sure that he was he was able to go back into the Gulf of Mexico and he did a few weeks later worked and and here's this moment of surrealness and um, <laughs> never saw it again. I, it was kind of this one thing I caught it. I just happened to be here early in the morning one day and uh, that was it. So yeah, they 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 do the weirdest things to to surprise you. I wonder if it was a moment of curiosity, like, oh, what are you? Or if it was a moment where he let the fame get to his head and he got a little big for his britches yeah. and he's like, 
I could take you. It's okay. I'm built different. You know, he was. I remember him, he was kind of sitting there, real natural, and the lobster was sitting there natural too. And it was a spiny lobster, so they don't have claws. You know, they're, so it was safe for both animals. But um, they're both just kind of looking at each other, not in an aggressive posture. And Champ would kind of move his head around and kind of look at him, and the lobster would move his eye. And it, it just it was one of those things like where in the ocean would these two meet? Oh, <laughs> and yeah. he's, he's here in this specific exhibit because he needs to learn how to dive and this is the best place that we can do that otherwise he, he wouldn't necessarily be in there so it was just this chance meeting of two marine creatures that you know might be the one and only time that ever happens but yeah i think it was more just curiosity on both part you you don't look normal and you don't look normal as a <laughs> Here we are. They were both having the same experience that I have when I see those animals at the aquarium. Yeah. Where like right. I see, I'm like, whoa, that's cool. What is that? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, you know, this this is one odd looking creature. And so they're just both sitting there, and uh, you know, both are really very colorful animals. Kim's Ridley's at that age are very colorful. Lobsters just are in general. It was oh yeah, it was a that was quite a morning. Game recognizing game. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, much like the lobster, I am enamored every time I get to see any type of sea turtle. It's always an exciting moment. Um, I've had a chance to see green sea turtles in the wild, um, in coral reefs. It's so blissful. It is like a moment where you're like, I've been chosen. It's a Disney princess moment. (laughs) And they're peaceful. It's just a really serene moment. You know, you captured it well. Yeah. And it feels so good, I think, largely because of how they look, uh, which brings us to aesthetics, which is just how nice is this animal to look at, whether it is cute or pretty or cool, whatever your definition of, of aesthetic is. What do you give loggerheads out of 10 for aesthetics? You know, I'd probably I'd give them a seven. I think uh, they're not like their cousins, the greens. I think green sea turtles, the shell on a green sea turtle, and particularly when we see them come in and these cold sunny events are, is just absolutely stunning. Um, and I think it's because they eat a lot of vegetables and they're probably, just, you know, that, <laughs> there's probably some truth in that. Um, I think what's interesting about loggerheads are they definitely are, are a rougher meteor turtle, like the mm. alligator snapping turtle is the best way to describe it. It's exactly what they look like. Um, so they're, they're pretty scrappy. So they're, they, it's a combat turtle. Yeah, they, that's what they're built for. Yeah, they absolutely are built to go in, into the ocean and, and do some damage. So they're not the they're not the prettiest out there, but they they are certainly effective. And what we find interesting is that when you when you bring turtles in to the rescue program, they come with all of the creatures that live on their shells. Oh. And so you see barnacles, you'll see different invertebrates, um, whether it be copepods or amphipods, different algaes. We've actually we're actually doing a study now where we're looking at epizootic diatoms, these microscopic diatoms on these turtle shells, because we can, with some specificity, determine where that turtle's been, almost as a migration mm. instead of a tag. But it adds to the, how they look. You can, you know, you see these turtles come in and they have all these different, some will come in, they have no barnacles, some will come in and they're covered in them. And so uh, it, it, you never know what you're going to get with loggerhead sea turtles. But um, I would say they're not the prettiest out there, but they're definitely <laughs> like Reminds me of like a world turtle. They yeah. have a whole little world on their they back. Do. They have a whole <laughs> community on their back. They absolutely do. Oh, they're amazing. I think they're just beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they are. So if people want to uh, see loggerheads, could they see loggerheads at the Texas uh, State Aquarium? We do. So um, today, uh, we're, we're in January of 2023. Uh, you could visit the Texas State Aquarium and you could see loggerhead sea turtles, green sea turtles, Kemp's Ridley sea turtles, and that'd be it for today. 
in the beginning of March, our new wildlife rescue center will open. And um, all of the rescue work that we do now is done offsite about two miles away um, at some, some, some other facilities. And over the last year and a half, we've been building uh, what will be the largest coastal wildlife rescue center in the country. And what's great about that is everything we've been describing about the loggerheads and the Kim's Ridleys on the rescue side of things, you'll actually now be able to see as a guest. So when you visit the aquarium after the beginning of March, you can go to the aquarium, you can see dolphins and sharks and the sea turtles that call the aquarium home. You can see all the fish, the birds, the flamingos, everything that lives here. But then when you're done here, we want you to go to the rescue center and you can see where we're really practicing all this conservation. We're practicing all this science. You can see the veterinarians doing the surgeries and, and getting these animals ready to return to the wild. And so uh, you can see turtles today, but what I think is really, really exciting is you'll be able to see a lot of turtles uh, getting ready to go back to the ocean in about two months at our new wildlife rescue center. That's so exciting. Yeah, uh, cool. That's going to be amazing. And for people listening that want to, you know, follow along like online on social media, anything like that, where can we uh, direct folks to? So TexasStateAquarium.org is our website. Um, and so that uh, has all the up-to-date information. It also uh, has information on our Wildlife Rescue Center. We find that a lot of people like to track those stories. So when the next champ comes in, <laughs> all of that cool stuff that we did behind the scenes, you'll now be able to watch But we all, at the new Rescue Center. But we'll also, uh, we put all of that online. And then all the normal social media channels, uh, Instagram, Facebook, we do, we do all of those. And you can kind of follow these rescue stories um, as they move through the process and ultimately get back to the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, amazing. And, and I'll have links to everything in the episode description. So people listening can just scroll down and click on through and keep up with, with your work at the aquarium. It's also exciting. And, and go see the, see the turtles. <laughs> see the turtles. It's pretty cool. It's, you know, it's a unique experience to, to come to Texas. You could see an endangered sea turtle on the beach in trouble. You could get it to the Texas State Aquarium. In two months, you'll actually be able to visit every day. So the other thing about the rescue center is it's free. We're not charging tickets to go to the rescue wow. center. We want people to see that that work happening at no cost. So you could visit you could visit the next champ every day. You could watch that, <laughs> that girl's progress, and then when we announce the release, you could actually be there when champ goes back into the Gulf of Mexico. And that's unique to Texas. That's not something that happens in a lot of places. So uh, it is. It's cool to come see him and get him back into the wild. You can be the change. You can be yeah. part of the process. Be part of the experience. Well, you when you when you visit the Texas State Aquarium and, and you participate in the rescue center, you are truly saving an endangered species. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And like how you mentioned at the beginning, you know how you got inspired to do your work with marine biology and and conservation through visiting aquariums, right? Like right. seeing these animals in an accessible way is that's just helping to like inspire the next generation of marine biologists and conservationists. It is, and that's the whole point. Our our wildlife rescue program not only do we rescue and, and get those animals back into the wild, but it's training the next generation. And and you know how do we train the next group of Texans to take care of Texas wildlife? Because that's one of the unique things of being in this state. And so, um, you know, if we're not training the next group, inspiring the next group, what's the point? And mm -hmm. and so we've got to pass that legacy of, of of nature in Texas down. And so um, that's a big focus of what we do. Leave it better than you found it. <laughs> Absolutely. That is the plan. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Jesse. It was delightful talking to you and learning about loggerheads and your work at the Texas State Aquarium. Uh, we will catch you later. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ellen. It's been a lot of fun. It has been. Bye. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening, friends. I hope that you feel the ocean calling you through the story of the loggerhead turtle. If you liked what you heard today, I hope you leave behind some kind words for us in a review on your podcast app of choice. If you want to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. Links to everything will be in the episode description below. You can send me an email at ellen at just the zoo of us.com if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear us talk about. Thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other wonderful shows like the ones that you heard promos for here today. You can check those out and learn more about the network and how you can be part of supporting our show over at MaximumFun.org. Finally, we would like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music. That's all for today. See you next week. Thanks. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.